I really want to echo Lily's words about how we're going to miss Sarah and Andy. So ever since coming to St. Mark's about two years ago, Sarah and Andy, they've been such rocks of this service. Especially Sarah. I mean, she's here more often, but Andy, whenever he's here as well. In the way that Sarah has week in, week out served us in music. She's just recently released the latest music roster. She's helped out with youth group. She has been just such a solid rock in this service. Really, a a really bright example of what it means to serve Jesus week in, week out. And Andy, of course, when he comes, he's he's always sort of helping out with AV and just being himself and giving us his opinion and it's fantastic. Um, So I'm really thankful to God for them and I am very happy for the church that's going to receive them. They're going to receive two very faithful servants of Jesus. Let's pray before we get into this passage. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have given us this word. We pray that you help us receive it. Please sink this this message, this word from John chapter 15 deep into our minds and our hearts and our souls. And we pray that it changes us. pray that your spirit works through this passage and changes us. Amen. So a famous American pastor, Rick Warren... He says this, you discover your purpose and identity through a relationship with Jesus. And an American footballer and baseballer, professional, Tim, I think it's Tebow, he says, it's pretty easy for me to say that the most important thing in my life is my relationship with Jesus, followed by my relationship with my family and footballs later on down the line. An Australian rap artist says, true Christianity is not a religion, but a relationship. Every so often you see on Facebook, you see a, a relationship status update and it says, in a relationship with Jesus. You often hear about Christians talking about their relationship with Jesus. Speaking of our relationship with Jesus really gets at the heart of what Christianity is about. But for people on the outside, people who aren't familiar with the language, it can be a little bit strange, a little bit vague. We have many different types of relationships in our life. I have a certain kind of relationship with an Aryan and a different kind of relationship with a Laura and a different kind of relationship with our neighbours and a different kind of relationship with my Year 4 Scripture kids. We have all kinds of relationships in our lives. And so the question is, when we speak about our relationship with Jesus, what is this particular and unique relationship? What's its nature? How can we describe it? I think the passage in John 15 addresses that question. How can we understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus? So in the past couple of weeks, Terry has been taking us through this last part of John's Gospel, which is called the Farewell Discourse. This is what Jesus tells his disciples the night before he's going to do what he came to do. He's going to accomplish his his task. That is, it's the night before he's going to give his life up. And at this point in time, the night before it happens, the disciples really need to know what's the nature of their relationship with him. Because if their relationship with Jesus is like any other human relationship, his death is going to spell the end of that relationship. Next week, 
we're going to be thinking about how his death and resurrection actually spells an entirely new phase of the relationship. But this week, we're going to be thinking about what is this relationship that the disciples have with Jesus? How would you describe it? And the passage we're going to have before us, John 15, page 928. You're going to need it before you. Page 928, John 15. This passage has pretty much two parts. Verses 1 to 8 is Jesus giving us a metaphor to describe this relationship. And then verses 9 to 17, Jesus speaks a bit more plainly about the relationship. So metaphor and then sort of more plainly, Jesus speaks more plainly. Um, So let's start with the metaphor. Verse 1, page 928. If not your phone, use a Bible. Um, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So this whole image of the vine would have been familiar to the disciples. They were Israelites, and so the Israelites knew their Old Testament back to front. And in the Old Testament, the vine, the image of the vine, is used quite a lot to talk about the people of Israel. So in Psalm 80, it talks about how God delighted in the vine. The vine was God's delight, and he rescued it out of Egypt and planted it in the most fertile ground. That is the promised land. That's in Psalm 80. And in Isaiah 5, which was the first passage that Liv read, it also talks about how God tended carefully and lovingly with this vine, but this vine failed to produce the fruit that it was meant to. So in verse 7 of Isaiah chapter 5, the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. But he looked for justice, and he only saw bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, and he only heard cries of distress. So when Jesus says, I am the true vine, it's heard within that context. Jesus is saying here that he is the true Israel. He is what the Israelites should have been but failed to be. And he's also claiming, not only that he's the new Israel, he's claiming that you've got to be connected with him to be in the people of God. That's what he's saying. It's a massive claim here in John 15. Now, I'm no gardener. The extent of my gardening at the moment is when Arian asks me to, I water plants. There's quite a few plants to water, so it takes about five minutes. But um, that's the extent of my gardening. But you don't have to know heaps about gardening to get the point Jesus is making here. When it comes to vines, there's a vine and there's branches. And the branches need to be connected to the vine to survive. I think that's pretty much all you need to understand about gardening to get Jesus' point here. And that's beginning to speak about the whole idea of what a relationship with Jesus is. To be in a relationship with Jesus... is to be so dependent on him that you've got no life flowing through you without him. 
Now, it's a metaphor Jesus uses. I could use other metaphors to make the same point. In fact, Jesus does. So we all need calories to live. We, we all need food to survive. You could say that Jesus is the bread of life. Oh, I think Jesus says that. We, we need water to survive. Jesus says, I'm the living water. Jesus is making a point he's made quite a lot in John's Gospel. I could use a metaphor that doesn't plagiarize. And maybe I will. Jesus is like chocolate. We all need chocolate to survive. Well, I don't think so. Arian does. And the person in the 945 congregation does as well. They said, I do, when I said that. Or when I said, you don't need chocolate to survive. They said, she said, I do. Anyway, the point is really simple. The point here is really simple. If you want to thrive, if you want to be a fruitful human being that displays the fruit of the Spirit, or in Isaiah, justice and righteousness, or according to Jesus, love, loving God and other people, he's making a really simple point. You need to be connected to him. He's the vine, we are the branches. That's the metaphor. Let's move on. Verses 5 to 8. So we've been introduced to this metaphor. And now in these verses, he's sort of already pushed this point. But he's going to have a particular focus. So verses 5 to 8. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up thrown into the fire and burned. So, the focus here is on two options. Remaining in Jesus or not remaining in Jesus. So, when Arian and I got married, I did something looking back which was a bit cringeworthy. I bought um, a lemon tree. At the same time, sort of at the same period we got married. And it was meant to be sort of a metaphor for our marriage. That hopefully as we grew up in our, in our relationship, so too this lemon tree would as well. And, and produce fruit. It produced lemons. It would give us lemons. I thought that was sort of funny. But, um, and for the first couple of years, it didn't produce any fruit. And so I thought maybe that wasn't such a good decision to, to buy a lemon tree to represent our marriage. But thankfully, after a couple of years, it does produce fruit. It did produce fruit and it continues to produce fruit. It's, it's, it's um, parked at our parents' place and each year it gives us at least a few lemons. The point is that for a lemon branch to produce flowers and produce fruit, it needs to have the sap of the trunk going through it. If it's connected to the trunk, it will flow through and it will produce fruit and flowers. It will happen. If we want to thrive as Christians, it's sort of repeating the point I've already made. If we, if we want to thrive as Christians, we need to remain in Jesus, remain in the vine. But verse 6, If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, in a way, that just makes total sense. We all the time, or 
for a certain age. We cut branches in our backyard and they, they wither away and eventually they end up on the side of the road to be picked up by the council. In a way, this is just a description Jesus is giving us as, as to what happens when branches are cut off from the vine. But here, Jesus is not just giving us a description of what happens. It's true. But his description here is like a warning. Do not lose sight of the fact that your lifeblood is none other than Jesus. That's the warning Jesus is giving here. It's sort of like a dietitian saying to you, if you don't eat your leafy vegetables, you risk getting colon cancer. Just a fact. But here, the stakes are even higher. And so Jesus' words are even sort of more somber than getting colon cancer. This is sort of our soul um, at stake. You know, we use the word soul pretty infrequently in our culture. It's really just the word that gets at the heart of who we are. It's our entirety. Jesus is saying that if you disconnect from him, life will leave you. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. So, so far, we've looked at the most basic point that the metaphor Jesus has given us. We are wholly dependent on Jesus. And second, there are two hypotheticals. You either remain in Jesus and his sort of lifeblood, which you might call the Holy Spirit, flows through him to us and through us to produce fruit. That's the way it works. But there's the other hypothetical, and that's not remaining in Jesus. And he gives us a warning. Now, the rest of the passage, verses 9 to 17, uh, have Jesus speaking a little bit more plainly about the same reality. So let's, let's look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now, in the first half of the passage, when Jesus says remain in him, it's using the vine metaphor. So you're meant to remain in him in sort of the same way a branch remains in a vine. But here, he gives us new information. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, remain in my love. That's new. Remain in my love. Now, if you want to understand the love of Jesus, you need to understand... Jesus' relationship with his Father. Okay? So, as the Father has loved me, so I loved you. You need to understand his relationship with his Father. Now, I'm going to say something that's extraordinary. God the Father loves God the Son. God the Father loves God the Son. Now, when I say that, we're tapping into... The reality that underpins everything else. We're tapping into the heart of the universe. We're tapping into that which sort of lies behind everything else. The Father loves the Son. Before anything existed, before God created all that we love and enjoy, there existed something. And that was the Father's love for the Son. Before anything else was, there was love. 
Okay? So when people have the intuition that love is the most important thing, which so many people do, um, they're actually touching upon something that's true. Now their idea of love might be different to ours and they might not be inclined towards Jesus at all. But there's a glimmer of something true in that conviction that love is the most important thing. Love. And we're talking about the love of the Father for the Son is ultimate reality. If everything else vanished, that would still remain. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Okay. So look at verse 9 again. If you had to pick the most important word in verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Which word would you choose? I won't ask for answers, but the word I'm going to choose, you know, it's a little subjective. The word I'm going to choose as the most important word in that verse is the word as. Just as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, my goal in this next 30 seconds is for hopefully that word as, which is sort of just as, will sink a little bit deeper than it already has. Just as much as the Father has loved the Son forever, this unbreakable, unquenchable love, that same measure of love is set on you. That's incredible. And this love isn't dependent on feelings. It doesn't matter how much we feel this love, whether we, think it's, whether we feel it's, it's truth. It's just true. It's objectively true. And it was demonstrated out there in history. You know where I'm going to go now. It was demonstrated out there in history so that it can't be rubbed out. The fact that Jesus died for us can't be rubbed out in history. So no matter how we feel, that is true. That's why the cross is so central to our services. It's a reminder of Jesus' love for us. So verse 13. Greater love has no one than this. To lay down one's life for one's friends. So Jesus loves us as much as the Father loves the Son. That's this, this unmeasurable love. And that was demonstrated in history when Jesus, the following night, handed over his life up for us. So the word as. I want you to remember that word. Verse 9 of chapter 15. But also... The word remain is pretty important in verse 9. It's a bit of a theme in this passage. You might have picked it when you were thinking in your mind. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Listen to how many times remain appears. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Verse 12, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. So there's a pretty simple logic here. You remain in Jesus' love by keeping his commands, and his commands are to love like he loved. So in other words, to remain in Jesus' love is really simple. You need to love. But it's really important to point out here, or it's really important to point out that Jesus' love doesn't depend on our doing anything. 
His love is constant, it's firm, it's unmoving, it's there, it's a reality. Can't be rubbed out from history, as I was saying. But it's possible for us to disconnect ourselves from his love, like as Jesus was saying, to not remain. So how can we understand that? I think it's sort of like, here we go again, Alora. Um, I think it's sort of like how I love Alora. I will always love Alora. But there are things that she could do to disconnect herself from our love. Now, to understand that, I think we can use the parable of the prodigal son. Now, the father always loved his son, his wayward son. He always loved his son. But when the son did what he did, it disconnected himself from his father's love. So his father's love didn't stop. But the son's actions did remove the son from the orbit of the father's love. Do you see the distinction? Love, Jesus' love for us, never, never runs out. But there are things that we can do to remove ourselves from the orbit of that love. That's what it means to not remain in Jesus. So let's pull the threads together. Where does this passage um, sort of hit our lives? Where's, how's the rubber hit the road? So when it comes to talking about our relationship with Jesus, it's one of total dependence. That's the main point from this passage. Our relationship with Jesus is one of total dependence. Verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 4, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And so if we want to thrive as Christians, if we want to bear fruit, if we want to live lives of justice and righteousness, doing the right thing, if we want to live lives characterized by love of other people and the Father, if we want to live lives you know, brimming with, full with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and all those things, then you need to have the life sap, the Holy Spirit, flowing through you the life of jesus flowing through you and so my question to you is do you realize that you are totally dependent on jesus for your spiritual growth now i can put a i can apply a test at this point in time to actually help you answer that question so how's your prayer life going Uh, pastors often ask that question it's just a good one to return to but it does reveal something So if you pray sort of five minutes a day, you sort of tack it onto your life. I'm speaking to myself here as much as anyone else. Then you've got to question whether you truly believe Jesus is the vine. If you tack prayer onto your life, you know, ticking the box, I've done it today, you know, good. Then I wonder if you, we believe in our hearts, not that he's the vine, and we're the branches, but that we're the vine, and here's the branches. Now, I think this is tapping into something really strong in our culture. That is, the idea of self-sufficiency. It's, it's, it's looked up to if you're self-sufficient in our culture, and, 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 and people believe that they're self-sufficient, and so we sort of take on that belief, we're self-sufficient. But Jesus was pushing back. We're not self-sufficient. We're totally dependent. And so if we find ourselves praying just sort of As a result of hearing news, we just find ourselves praying. As a result of something coming up, we just find ourselves praying. Jesus, help me. I need help here. I need energy. I need strength. If you find ourselves just praying as a reflex reaction to things, then you truly believe what Jesus is saying here. 
So our relationship is one of total dependence. Two, our relationship with Jesus shows itself in fruit. So, um, and the fruit is costly love. And so a really simple question to ask yourself here is, are you doing things that you mightn't otherwise do because of your love for Jesus? Are there things you're doing in your life that you wouldn't otherwise do because of your love for Jesus? In other words, are you doing things that sort of cost? That's the fruit that will result in being connected to Jesus. And also connected to this whole idea of being fruitful is an idea that Jesus says in verse 2. Look at verse 2 with me. Every branch that does bear fruit, the Father prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. A couple of, uh, more like seven years ago now, I lived in the Hunter for two years. And, and while I was in the Hunter, I helped on a friend's vineyard. And every year it would come around to pruning time. And I'm sure if the, prune, uh, if the vines could think, they'd think during pruning time I was out to kill them. Like, these vines were leafy before we started. They looked so healthy. But by the end of our pruning, they looked sort of very bare. But our pruning was for their good. You know, if you can speak in that way for a vine. So that it would produce fruit. And Jesus is saying that's exactly how God the Father works with us. He prunes us. Now, in the moment, pruning isn't comfortable. Pruning hurts. You might even wonder whether God's out to get you. Jesus says... He will prune you so that you're more fruitful. It's coming from a place of love. And and point three, so our relationship is one of total dependence. It it will express itself in fruit. And it's one of friendship. Verse 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. Now, you're friends with God. Your friends with God the Son. Your friends with the one who set history into motion. Your friends with the one um, who is the goal of history, who will bring history to a close, sort of a, who will bring history to an account. Your friends with the one whom you were created to reflect in your lives. Your friends with the one who you will have to give an account to. Your friends with Jesus. Friends with Jesus. Friends with God. If you left here remembering one thing, maybe you remember the word as, but also remember that you're friends, friends with Jesus. Now, to put it out of order, Jesus says, I don't know the verse number, he says, I've told you this, all this about the vine and all this, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Knowing that we're friends with Jesus, if we really grasp that, it tops our joy up so that it can't be topped anymore. Your joy may be complete. I wonder where your joy is standing. Complete, can't be topped. Friends with Jesus. Okay, so you guys might know a guy called Kanye West. You guys probably know a guy called Kanye West. And if you know anything about him... I'm so glad to say that here because at 8am I got some pretty blank stares. Um, But if you know anything about him, you'd be surprised uh, to know the title of his latest album. And I'm sure many of you do know its title. Jesus is King. 
That's the title of his latest album. Now, many people, sort of, a few Christians sort of wonder if really he could have become a Christian, but this album is all about how he's become a Christian. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> um, I'm not here to sort of make a comment on whether he really is a genuine Christian or not. You know, I'll leave that for you guys to wonder about. I think he is. Um, there's a track on this album called Water. And in one of the verses... It's pretty much a prayer addressed to Jesus. And I think it beautifully exemplifies this dependence on Jesus. So I'm going to read this verse out from this track called Water, and then I'm going to pray it for us. So, this is Kanye West. I'm quoting Kanye West in a sermon. (laughs) Jesus, flow through us. Jesus, heal the bruises. Jesus... Please use us. Jesus, please help. Jesus, please heal. Jesus, please forgive. Jesus, please reveal. Jesus, give us strength. Jesus, make us well. Jesus, help us live. Jesus is our safe. Jesus is our rock. Jesus, give us grace. Jesus, keep us safe. I'm going to pray that prayer for us. Jesus, Flow through us. Jesus, heal the bruises. Jesus, please use us. Jesus, please help. 